You are listening to a sermon series from Open Door Fellowship Church. Well, good morning, everyone. (laughs) Like cattle, come on. I've been gone for a few weeks, please. One more time. Good morning, everyone. Thank, Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wow. Well, um, here we are in Life Worth Living, uh, and I'm going to kick it in now for the next three weeks. I'll finish out the series, but um, I want to just take a moment to, to thank those who made this series happen. Um, Sam Hill, you don't know, has done so much behind the scenes to help this series come to be. We've done this series uh, three times in Open Doors history. And, and I always say it's one of the most relevant, important books for us to go through, but it is one of the hardest books to preach. It is. Uh, Solomon drank. And uh, it is sometimes tough to follow uh, what he's doing. But I, I want to just tell you how proud I am of those ones who um, spoke in this series. Uh, Clint, yeah. Clint Levitt, are you kidding me? He's just wise and brilliant beyond his years. I'm just so overwhelmed. It's going to be so interesting and wonderful to see what God does with this young man. One day, I'm going to say, I knew him. Yeah. <laughs> he is a, just such a beautiful-hearted communicator of this word. And then Caleb Lynch. Give me a break. What in the world? What happened to him? He's, he's, I use notes to, to shake your hand. He was teaching deep, wonderful truths of God with no notes. I'm going... He's got a teleprompter somewhere. How's he doing this? So that, and then Stu Black. I just uh, endlessly, you can save it. He's not here. Um, but, but he was uh, college uh, roommates with Charles Spurgeon. And, um, <laughs> yes, and yet he always, uh, Stu, anytime we ask him, he goes, yes, when? You tell me and I'll, I'll preach it. And he just gives us such clarity and, and uh, information, wisdom, and he actually has pictures and notes and stuff, uh, outlines. And man, I just love that brother. What's that? Don't forget the handouts. Absolutely right. So guys, just just so, so grateful to be part of this series, Life Worth Living. And now we're going to go through the last three weeks. Um, the last two are pretty easy. They talk about the young person and the older person. This one, not so easy. This one, the first 11 times I went through it, I thought, mm, there's nothing here. I, I, I have to preach this. And then it has come alive for me, and I want to preach it over and over again. So... Uh, if you'll give me the permission, chapter 10, let me just read this aloud uh, because I'm not going to uh, 
talk about some of the passage at all, so we might as well read it. Chapter 10, Ecclesiastes. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. Welcome. <laughs> so a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. A wise man, heart, his heart directs him towards the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him towards the left, which is not an easy observation for left-handers. Um, even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking and he demonstrates to everyone that he's a fool. Now listen, if the ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allies great offenses. Now there's an evil I've seen under the sun like an air that goes forth from the ruler. Folly is set in many exalted places, which rich men sit in humble places. I have seen slaves riding on horses and princes walking like slaves on the land. He who digs a pit for himself, he falls into it. And a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. And he who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and he doesn't sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom, ah, wisdom has the advantage of giving success. If the serpent bites before being charmed, there's no profit for the charmer. <laughs> Give me just a second. I'm going to charm him. Ow! Yeah. Words from the mouth of a wise man, they're gracious. Well, the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of his talking is folly and the end of its wicked madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No man knows what will happen and who could tell him what's going to happen after him. The toil of a fool so wearies him that he doesn't even know how to enter into a city. That's, that's foolishness. Says Barstow, but I don't think I know how to get there. Woe to you, O land, whose king is a lad and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of nobility and whose princes eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through indolence and ra the rafters sag and through slackness the house leaks. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment, oh, and, and wine to make merry, and for them the money's the answer to everything. Furthermore, in your bedchamber, it would be good to not curse a king, and in your sleeping room, do not curse a rich man, for a bird of the heavens will carry the sound, and the winged creature will make a matter known. Uh, there, there is a particular verse in here that, that poof, just powerfully overwhelmed me this week especially, and I want to play to that at some point. But I'm, um, we're going to talk about wisdom and foolishness today. It's like 15 years before when Solomon wrote Proverbs, the, almost the entire book was on wisdom and folly. It just laid out couplet after couplet after couplet. But here it's a little harder for Solomon because... These are all things now that he has failed at. These are all things that he has to say, this was me. And so, I want to tell you a story from 15, 20 years ago. I think it was close to 20 years ago. A very wise man who I knew 
um, had to endure me in a season. I remember I got hurt. I don't even know if it was right that I got hurt. I don't even know that it was hurtful, I, but I got hurt. And if you knew me, I'm an incredibly passionate person, and I would respond subjectively to hurt and over-respond. And I still can do that. And anyways, I did that. I over-responded and I, I hurt someone badly. And I felt stupid. I felt bad. I didn't know what to do. I, I groveled and um, I thought for sure this wise man would just be disgusted with me. Maybe it had enough with me. And I went and I, I did all the things that, that, I, that, that a religious man should do. He just, oh, loathsome, loathsome man that I am. And he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm groveling is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, do, letting you know that I feel really terrible. He goes, don't do that. What are you doing? You're, you're Christ in you, kid. You've, you've gone to God. You've talked with Him. Now, you're blameless. You're clean. Now, experience that, John. Uh, it shook me. It's like, wait, I don't know how to live this way. I don't know how to live the way you're describing. How can, after what I've done, how can I dare take the permission to say, I'm blameless and I'm clean. So, here we go. I hope you see throughout this passage uh, both the wise man and the young foolish man in this passage. And um, because of that wisdom, isn't that interesting the effect wisdom has? It, it had the benefit of allowing me to grow up. Uh, verse 1 says, Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink, so a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. That's a little tricky in the English. In the Hebrew, sometimes it brings it more to light. So let's take a look at the exact uh, way it's written in the Hebrew, if we could. No matter how much potpourri you own, <laughs> just a little broccoli sitting out on the counter will later make your home smell terrible. So that's, sometimes the original languages can just uh, bring things to light for us. And uh, I think what we'll see as we're going through this is um, more hitting for us in our own experience. It doesn't take long to give permission to self-protect before you've done some pretty significant damage to you and those you love. It doesn't take long um, this is about self-protection before you've done some pretty significant. It doesn't, doesn't take much at all before uh, you've done significant damage to yourself and those you love. Proverbs. Proverbs talk so much about wisdom. Uh, I wish I could just read and read and read these about Wisdom, uh, chapter 3, starts out and says, My son, don't forget my teaching. 
Let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you, but bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. And here was Solomon 15 years before when it was so much easier for him to write. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, with everything that's in you. Don't lean on your own understanding. Uh, Maybe in the New Covenant, knowing what we know now, you have Christ in you. Your understanding is Christ's understanding. You don't ever have to leave that now. And in all your ways, acknowledge him, not saying, yes, he did that, he did that. Just to be able to say anything beautiful that I see in me, is this new creature that he's created. I didn't drum this up. I didn't pull this one off. Oh, Jesus. Hmm. So, Solomon has written that. And remember what he says in Ecclesiastes 2. Wisdom is a gift from the very heart of God. Nobody gets wisdom by earning it. You get it by trusting. He gives it to those who trust him. It's a gift. Knowledge, yeah, 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 you, you work on that. But wisdom, the capacity to have insight, discernment, that's a gift. And he gives it to those who please him. Now, all these things that we're going to see, they're going to be general broad brush kind of statements. No one is fully one or the other. No one is fully wise or fully a fool. We are at any different times... Um, I can be foolish and I can be wise. As my wife says, we're all on the spectrum. But there is a life bent that Solomon talks about. A wise man's heart directs him towards the right, but the foolish's heart, it's bent. He has a life bent that takes him another direction. So I'm going to give some working definitions to wisdom and foolishness and, and these are just made up, but, but it helps me walk through them. Wisdom, a God-trusting life, able to clarify complex life issues with insight, spreading knowledge into practical discernment and moral protection to reveal his very nature almost innately in the moment of need. I, I think that last part of this is the most important for me this morning to reveal, you find yourself revealing his very nature almost innately, almost involuntarily. It's not something you have to drum up in the moment of need. That's what happens for the wise. Uh, Foolish, uh, here's working definition. A self-trusting life, not a God-trusting life, but, but at its core, at its bent, still, even though I may have asked Jesus into my heart, I'm still My bent has not yet been formed. So a self-trusting life, bluffing understanding, and obscuring clarity into ambiguity, hurting others to win, and unnecessarily creating failure and chaos and a blinded lack of humility. Yeah. 
Guys, I, I'm, I'm going to say something to you that sometimes I wonder if I didn't say enough along the way. Read this word. Um, read this book. Um, you have to know who it is that you are trusting. It's, it's, you hear it every single week, trust the Lord. You've got to trust in the Lord. It means nothing if you don't know who He is. It's like happy unicorns. Trust in the Lord. You've got to know who He is, and you've got to know who you are in Him before this means anything. I think sometimes because I want to make sure I don't know, it was such a freedom to be able to say we don't have to be in the Word. There's no law to be in the Word. That sometimes I don't think we told each other, this is our lifeblood, this is powerful. This is everything, you guys. I know, I, I hang out with a group of people who say, well, you're going to be careful, you don't want to worship the Word. Look, I look around this room and there's nobody who's any risk of that at all. Guys, this is, this, however you want to do it, find your way to be in this word. It is, it's life to my bones. God, God, he breathes into this book. He breathed in it and he continues to breathe. I still, the Holy Spirit speaks to me, God speaks to me in a myriad of ways. Oh, but he loves to speak to me in this book. This, this is how I can fill that truth of uh, I need to trust him to have it mean anything. All right. What is it, what do you experience when you're around a fool? You ever get, let's just take a second to, to ask that question. When you're around a fool, what does it feel like to you? Raise your hand if you wouldn't. Just, just say it. Yes. Frustration. When you're around a fool, you've, there's a lot of frustration. What else do you feel? Yes. Uncertainty. Ugh. What else? Discomfort. Yeah. You feel embarrassment for that person. You, you just want to go, how do I get you to stop doing what you're doing? Yeah, my Impatience. I feel that when I'm around a fool. Yeah. Uh, not knowing how to help them and not sure you would, they would ever let you. Yeah. What else do you feel around a fool? You know, my brother's a professor and I got some oxygen and God. I just have compassion for him. You know, I get frustrated at first and then I want to try to straighten things out. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you feel frustrated first, but eventually you, you feel great compassion because you know that they, they so much need. Yeah. Yeah. What else do you feel when you're around a fool? Uh, do you hear that? I feel not valued when I'm around a fool. Yeah, I, I wrote a list and it sounded really good last night until you guys said those things. Uh, I wrote, you don't feel safe around them. You, you don't ask their counsel, though they still give it. <laughs> And the fool is pretty self-aware. That's, that's one of the hardest things is they are self-unaware. They're not, you just go, do you hear yourself? And they're not open to your direction or correction. They gossip about others. 
you're not certain that they aren't gossiping about you. Another thing about the fool, they demand that you take their side. And they don't really trust God or anyone else with them. That's, that's the fool. How about the wise person? What do you feel, what do you experience when you are around a wise person? Safe. That's good. You feel safe. Your person feels safe. What else do you feel when you're around a wise person? Well, you, hey, so raise your hand. <laughs> let's, let's go back again. Hold on, let's go back again. Anybody else? Yes, yes. Encouraged. <laughs> yes, until a fool makes you raise your hand. Yeah. Inspired. Wise people make us feel inspired. <laughs> How cool is that? Proud because I gave birth to that one. Gee, well played, Mom. Uh, gosh, when you're around a wise person, you have confidence things are going to be okay. Comfortable. Unsure of yourself around a wise person? Because you feel like, wait, I'm not sure I match up. Okay. Yes, yes. Happy. That's right. Absolutely, man. Yes. Valued. Yeah. Gosh, a wise person makes you feel equipped. Wow, just in the result of being around them, I feel like I'm becoming wiser. Oh, they're so good. Again, here's my list that sounded so good last evening. Um, you said it. You feel safe around them. You can tell that they trust God with their person. And even though they're so wise, they're still teachable. And you listen, and you later reflect upon their words, and you discover that you find yourself, that you trust them, and you're coming under their care. And someone said these exact, almost exact words, you feel like a better person when you're around them. That's the wise. Um, so guys, bear with me. I want to go through this passage well, and then I have, a, I have an agenda of a verse that I really want to, spend some time at the end of it. So let's look quickly at the fool's heart. The fool's heart is bent, we talked about it, towards the left, uh, towards dishonor. In Scripture, it's always, um, uh, so, uh, let me see, Psalm 16, 8 talks about it. Uh, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. Uh, you have made known to me the path of life in your presence. There's fullness of joy. In the right hand, there are pleasures forever. There's nothing in the left hand at all. It's just lint. Um, this is hard. I'm a left-hander, okay? So in the Middle East, I'm nothing. Uh, it's, you know in the Middle East, people eat with their right hand. That's how you eat. You only eat with your right hand, and you do hygiene things with your left hand. That's why I'm from Ireland. We don't, we don't do that stuff. We just, both hands for everything. You know, just, we eat like wolves. 
So the fool's heart is bent towards the left to dishonor. The fool readily demonstrates to everyone, verse 3, that he's a fool. He gets harmed by his own attempts to harm others. We're going to look at that in a second. He's trapped by his graceless, endless words. If you would just listen to me, uh, let me say it one more time. Oh man, if I looked at Stacy and said that, you just let me explain from another angle. And she just goes, I'm listening to him just drone on right now, trying to defend himself. He is so wearied by life sometimes, how hard it is just to be him that he wanders around lost. He or she feels self-entitled. That's that section that we have about the princes of the uh, unhealthy king who just, um, everything was supposed to be done for the people, all of the concerns and all of their issues, the king and his associates and princes were supposed to deal with that in the morning. And then at the end of the day, you could feast and celebrate. But these, there was such a self-entitlement about them. They just all day long were feasting and ignoring the needs of the people. And um, he gossips, and it'll eventually all come back to harm him. I, I, that, that very idea of what we're talking about in, in uh, the fact that uh, he is harmed by his own attempts to harm others. He who digs a pit may fall into it. It's interesting. He uses an allegorical, metaphorical picture. He who digs a pit may fall into it. If you're digging a pit for someone else, be careful. You probably will fall into it. And then he makes the statement, a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. You try to break through a wall of someone's life and you think you, you have no idea what's on the other side. And boom, hey, there's that snake again. And he who quarries stones, he who with self-interest to get ahead of somebody else and, and make sure that he's getting more than the next guy, you may get what you want and be hurt by it. And he says, make careful because uh, he who splits logs, splits up relationships in this metaphorical picture. Uh, he gets endangered by the very things he's trying to split up as they come back to hit him. Um, So, I want to make sure I hit this verse, verse 19. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment. Wine makes merry and money's the answer to everything. Um, that's not true, right? Uh, the context of this is those people who are living self-interested lives. And the passage better reads, men prepare a meal not for sustenance, not for health, but to all day long just keep feeding themselves. They just keep wanting to make sure they're taken care of uh, in that way. And life makes them merry. It fills a void. That's why they drink their, their wine. And to them, money is the answer to everything. And Solomon says, do you know how much I tried to have that be true? And it's not, oh, blessed are you, oh, ones who have a king who eats at the appropriate time and doesn't get trashed. They eat for strength and not for drunkenness. So this, this, this quick picture he gives of, of the fool. Now I want to go to the wise. The wise are bent towards honor and trust of God and others. There's always this picture of, of 
their hearts bent towards the things that glorify God. At the end of the day, they're going to mess up, they're going to fail, but their, their, their bottom line, their M.O., uh, is, is, is to the right. The wise have, I love this, in verse 10, wisdom has the advantage of giving success. Overall, generally, the wise have success at what they do. It's just a good thing. It's healthy. It gives them an overall great life and those around them. The wise naturally speak grace and they speak with grace. Verse, verse 12 says, I love that. Words from the mouth of a wise man, they're gracious. The wise live out the responsibility for their influence. They eat at the right time. They love the people that they've been given responsibility for in their lives. The wise don't gossip about others. They, they talk to them. What a gift it is to me in my life, especially now that I'm not talked about. Oh, that I'm talked to. What a beautiful thing when, when there is health in a community because there's been a good king where they don't gossip about others, they speak to them. And then that brings me to this, one of the coolest things about the wise. The wise innately respond to attack with composure. This verse, this, this is the one that leapt out at me this week. If a, ruler, if a ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allies great offenses. Um, so historically, this man of passion, when he gets hurt, it triggers, and I know I'm not alone in it, but it feels like mine's weirder and, and more than others. I have over-responded and overreacted, And in doing that, I can hurt others. Um, and I want to run. That's what it feels like, is just, you know what? Never mind. I quit. I'm done. I got hurt, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull back. I'm going to take my ball and bat, and I'm going to go elsewhere. Nobody's going to hurt me. I, I may respond for a second, but, but basically I will just leave. And Solomon says, don't. Solomon doesn't even know what he's talking about, New Covenant-wise. He doesn't even know about Christ in us yet, but he knows wisdom. He knows God's heart. And he says, kid, don't. It's not your heart's bent. It's not who you are. Stand your ground. God is your vindicator and the protector of your name. Will you just do that? Wisdom trusts God to protect you against the wrong done to your name. And this is where we get into identity. This is the part of the show where John and I don't have, I wish I had better pictures to draw. I wish I had better um, visible object lessons, but I'm just going to try to speak it out of these statements. The wise, you get to remember who you are. I'm Christ in John on my worst day. This, um, I am not what this person has just said about me. I'm a new creation. And so if I can remember that and 
That gives me the permission to be able to own and repent if I know I've done something wrong, if I've hurt you relationally, even though everything's already forgiven totally, I still, wanna, I still want to be right with you. That is relational repentance. It is this, you guys. I don't know how to say this any better or any differently than I have the last 2,200 times. Christ now, presently, what he did on the cross still now has this incredible thing of being able to clean me and make me feel blameless, make me experience that. It's redemption. To take someone who feels dirty and is dirty and go, they're clean. That's how powerful what I did on the cross was. Me? Don't you understand? I'm the one who just did. I know. You're clean. You're blameless. You get to make amends. You get to do all those good things. Yes, yes, yes. But from a position of blamelessness and cleanness. Now, now I don't have to trust. I get to trust that I'm not who I am being accused of. And I get to remember that God's in control of my very life and my very reputation. Now, if I dared to believe that, what would that create in me? There's a word that's used twice in the New Test or the Old Testament, and Solomon chooses to use it here. He says it would give you composure. Such a beautiful word, composure. In, in the Hebrew, uh, when it is used, uh, healing, cure, health, remedy, soothing, tranquil. Webster says it is this calmness or repose, especially of the mind or of your bearing. It is the settled objectivity of mind and peace of heart amidst adversity or sudden opposition. I love what, what Solomon says about it back in Proverbs 14. He says, um, a tranquil heart, here's, here's the other place it's used. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but uh, this, this unbridled, unsubmitted, crazy passion by itself is just rottenness to the bones. So the ability... When someone's saying something about me or someone in authority over me is mad at me, instead of me over-owning it, lashing back, or going into a place of shame, I get this permission to believe those things and respond in composure. It, it, and that gives me objectivity so I don't make myself the issue. He says that lies great offenses, the offenses done against you. Like, like if, I'm, if I have composure, if God gives me composure, suddenly there's no wall to push against. And it calms the other. It allows us to come back towards each other. What a great, great gift. I love that Solomon says this, but I want to make sure we get something. Composure is not an add-on. 
It's not from a church marquee that says, we all should have more composure today. Now, remind yourself of that. And so, so it's easy for us to have a message and go, yes, next time I need to remember composure, composure, composure. Come on now. The truth is, it is something innate. It is something the wise find themselves experiencing in that moment of need. It's not drummed up. It is such a beautiful gift to go, what has happened? I am responding to that with innate composure. Composure is the result of believing what's true about you and resting in its abiding results. Or This was an attempt to, to write it this way. Composure is just a blank screen where, where you, you create the... No. Um, composure is formed from a trust of God's purpose, uh, person and his accomplishment, which allows me a conviction of blamelessness, able to say no to shame as it arises by trusting the cleansing power of the cross. What Jesus did on the cross... It remains just as powerful as when it happens for me to access it moment by moment. He said, here you go, more. It's infinite. It will never stop. Kid, what do you need? You, what do you need? You need truth about who I say you are so that you won't enter into shame so that you can receive this accusation. Okay, you got it. You got it. More, more, more. Just take it. Drink it in. Believe it. And you'll find yourself carrying this thing that you never thought that you'd have. We are the people of the resurrection. We're the people of a risen Christ. We're the people who get to live out and discover ourselves in supernatural ways. Again, this is why you have to read this word. This is why you have to believe this to be true. It is so important because it either you wallow in it all your life and people have to play around you and people have to be embarrassed for you. All the things that we said of the fool. Or I trust who God says I am and it takes the sting out of shame and it makes me able to respond in composure. So another way of looking at it that I trust the power of redemption. Remember, redeeming, it cleanses me. It has the power to rewrite my story and say, John, in this moment, is clean. And that replaces my shame. You know what shame says. You're not enough. You've never been enough. There's something uniquely and particularly wrong about you. You'll always be this way. And this breaks its power. It brings you to peace, knowing that you are blameless. And when the attack hits, you find yourself with this innate response of objectivity and calm. Mm. And I know, I know we sit there and some of you are saying, I don't even know what that means yet. I'm not experiencing that. 
when things do hit, I still respond in shame and I get inflamed and I make myself the issue. And so what I want to say is um, you have a bent in Christ and it's just a matter of time, you guys. You are right on time. Every single person in this room, you are right on time. This is who you are. This is what you will get. This is what you will one day, you're going to, maybe long after I'm gone, you're going to go, I remember that guy who preached and said that I would have this beautiful composure in the face of hard things hitting me. Oh my gosh, I have it. At least for a moment, I'm one of the wise people. And so today, as we come to this table, um, we're going to sing a song, entering ourselves into worship, along with all the things that we do to realize that this represents the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus. Make this application today. Give yourself the permission to make the application of saying, God, this thing that is eating me alive, this thing that I just did yesterday where I felt like I wasn't enough or I was a disappointment or I'd let people down or I failed again or I overreacted or any of those things. If you do not trust that he has made you blameless and clean, you'll do it again soon. But if you enter in and trust that this is true, that this beautiful Jesus Christ did this for you, it gets to break a pattern in your life. You get free. So as we come to this table, guys, enjoy what he's already done. Enjoy it and enter into it. It's yours.